Hi everyone, this is Kate, the founder of Loam, and I am so happy to share Loam Listen with you today. For those of you who are new to Loam, we're a constellation of creatives working at the intersection of art and activism to find our footing in a climate-changed world. Through our print publications, immersive workshops, and podcasts, we want to dig in deep to what it means to live in regenerative relationship with our Earth and each other. For our inaugural episode, I'll be talking to the incredible Kailea Frederick of Earth is Ohana, an immersive and adaptable environmental educational framework for exploring spiritual ecology. Kailea and I actually first connected through Instagram, and since then she's been a cherished part of the Loam community, helping to shape our vision and facilitate workshops. As a First Nations woman, mother, and environmental educator, Kailea's work is truly rooted in multiplicity. I think this is a big part of the reason why Kailea's approach to spiritual ecology and sacred activism resonates with so many of us in the Loam community. She's someone who is able to speak to the beauty of poppies and the necessity of presence with the same intelligence and integrity she brings to conversations on collective liberation, everyday activism, and democracy in the digital era. It's in that spirit that I am so excited to welcome Kailea to Loam Listen. Thank you for being here, Kailea. Thank you for having me, Kate. I was loving the intro. (laughs) (laughs) So prior to this podcast, we connected a little bit about what you wanted to share during this conversation. And a big theme that emerged was motherhood. Your mama to a super precious one-year-old and a lot of your recent activism work has been informed by this identity. Can you speak to your decision to be a mother and how your experience raising your son has transformed your activist practices? Yeah, absolutely. So as Some of you Loam listeners know, and certainly as you know, Kate, um, being the director behind Loam, I had written this piece called Mothering into the Anthropocene for uh, the public last year's publication in print, where I really outlined a little bit of my story around finding out that I was pregnant and the decision to have a child. It was a hard decision, you know, one that I definitely did not take lightly, as I think that any parent can speak to. But I think for me, made all the more complex and real based off of the fact that I I actually found out that I was pregnant right after leading a class on the Anthropocene, where a lot of the information I'm sharing is based around, you know, the present experience of what it is we are facing as a species and what it is the planet is facing, you know, and also huge questions around what it means to be alive right now. And so the idea of bringing a child in and having their beginnings start in what honestly I think a lot of people feel like is the end was a hard decision. And, you know, I wanted to do it in the most conscious way possible. And by conscious, I mean, I wanted to do it in the most honest way possible. And so that piece of writing that I put together was a part of, you know, hoping to contribute to ongoing conversations around what it means to parent and what it means to mother during these times. And hopefully also break away a little bit of the shame or the guilt that I know some of my peers and, you know, not necessarily parents, but actual just you know, youth climate activists, um, some of the questions they're facing around, is it okay to have a child? And then also starting a conversation for those of us that are already parents as well around the reality of being a parent right now. And I think the heaviness of the experience of thinking about what our children are going to be 
facing and living into. Absolutely. And I'm so curious to know, how do you handle that multiplicity? Um, What kind of conversations are you having with parents who think about these things the same way you do? And, And also, what kind of conversations are you having with your peers to help liberate them from the shame and the guilt that so many of us are experiencing? I think from the very beginning, I realized by orienting the beginning of my experience stepping into parenthood in shame or guilt wasn't going to do anyone any good. Most, you know, initially starting with myself, but also realizing that I by no means wanted to bring a child into the world and have any part of their origin story start with, I wish I hadn't, or you should not be here. And also, I wanted to have honest conversations with my child probably earlier than when my parents started having conversations or my community started having conversations with me about the reality of these times. And that just really speaks to how the times are different right now. And I I actually just, I don't have all of the answers, but I I do know that starting out someone's life from the perspective of maybe you should not be here is <laughs> not the right way right. to go. <laughs> yeah. It's a big question. Some of the conversations that I have with other parents, mostly at this point in time, they're oriented around what does it mean to, to actually come together as a community in crisis mm. and more honest and open conversations around this idea of death, which is so heavy to bring in right away. But if I'm very transparent, that's actually where a lot of the conversations are starting. And I would also say a lot of the conversations that myself and my partner hold between the two of us, you know, there's just so much more of an emphasis put on on the fact that we are likely going to live through, you know, large disasters or large crises. And Some of these we might be able to prepare for, and some of them we might not be able to. And I would rather have started a conversation with myself and started a conversation with my partner around these heavier themes of, you know, no higher ground, you know, raising a child during these times, and somehow prep that part of myself rather than choosing in some some ways maybe a portion of denial. And, you know, I think it really came home for us At the very beginning of my pregnancy, as I had shared in that initial piece of writing, I came home and on the plane ride home from, I was in London, so on the plane ride home, the Tubbs fire broke out here in Santa Rosa. I live in the town of Petaluma, so I'm only 20 minutes south of Santa Rosa down the highway, and I landed uh, to the news that there's this huge fire that had displaced many citizens and you know, I didn't know if my house had burned down. I didn't know, you know, what to expect. And having that, you know, that news and that experience be really the very first beginning start of my pregnancy, I think has really shaped a lot of the conversations. And I think a lot of the hard truths that I struggle to hold and that me and my partner struggle to hold together. But I, I honestly think that right now, it's really just about being honest. And knowing that, None of us, you know, even, you know, climate change aside, political and social instability aside, the one honest truth is that we've never, ever been owed tomorrow. Um, Mm. And so just trying to ground and remember in that, that's actually just one of the core pillars around being a human being and being alive. 
I think that's so beautiful, Kailea. And listening to you share that, I actually felt my heart pull. I think that's that's so important. And and I'm so curious to know, has that understanding been shaped by coming into motherhood? How has motherhood really changed your perception and helped you prepare for these experiences and shaped what kind of activist practices you're now cultivating? Hmm. I feel braver than I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> I think before pregnancy and before parenthood, I had more of a tendency to at times talk around an issue or maybe try also to convince myself away from a hard truth or a hard reality. And I also think that a lot of what I was even you know, sharing or holding classes around, it felt very real. And I definitely had a lot of experiences of grief and of anger and of big emotions, you know, that even gave me the impetus to be in this, these conversations, these zones as an activist. But there was a portion of it that almost, I think, felt theoretical in comparison to now, which sounds so bizarre, because if I was to take myself back to, you know, my 23 year old self and tell myself like, this is, you know, there's a part of you that just doesn't get this. I don't think I, I think I would have been like, I 100% get it. Um, (laughs) But somehow now being a parent with the responsibility of a whole other human being, you know, in my hands, um, the reality that I have to do right by their life, Mm. it's real every day. I don't get to log off from the conversation or, you know, I don't get to say, I'm going to put this down for the weekend because my child is there every day. You know, I wake up to him every single day and I go to sleep to him every single night. So because of that, I think there's just a lot, I I feel a lot more courageous, you know, in speaking to some of the issues that were keeping me awake at night before, but I felt, oh, I I don't want to upset anyone too much, or I don't want to draw too much attention to myself. Now there's this part of me that just (laughs) doesn't care in the same way that I used to. (laughs) Um, I love that. (laughs) And I I think it's also, it's, um, you know, in the most immediate sense, it actually really forced me to scale down and hone in. And I I often tell my friends, becoming a mother honestly might be one of the healthier things for me in regards to how I was showing up and positioning myself as an activist before, in that I was experiencing burnout well before I became pregnant. And I was having a lot of really big questions around, is this really the right way? Not to invalidate, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the incredible and huge work that many of my friends and my peers are still doing but just for me in my own experience in my own existence I was having those questions and as a parent now the honest truth is you have less time and you also start to really reprioritize a lot because number one is your child and then number two for me at least is my partner and number three is my home and uh, and then after that, I get to choose a number four and then a number five. And in all <laughs> honesty, that's really all that I have capacity for these days. And so the process of having to scale down and hone in has been healthy uh, more than anything and much more grounding in that I don't live out of a suitcase anymore. And I report in day in and day out to the same people and to the, you know, truly I, the same community I I walk my neighborhood every single day. It's helped me become much more place-based and realistic about 
the capacity of one life and the possibility of one life. And I also, uh, you know, just on the topic of burnout, really briefly, one of the things that was most immediate as soon as I became pregnant um, or as soon as I found out I was pregnant, before I found out I was already experiencing a lot of physical exhaustion. But as soon as I actually understood what was going on, there was this part of me that just completely released and was okay with releasing, realizing like your task at hand is actually to grow human right now. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I think so many of my friends and so many of the people that I've been in conversation with with, or collaborate or work with, I think we would all be so much better off if we just slept more. And <laughs> I, I really use rest and sleep as one of my greatest points of practice these days. And uh, I wish that for, for more people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And a few things came to mind listening to you share that. First of all, you've always been so brave to me, but it has been so beautiful to see you come into this total new badassery as a mom. And also something I really loved that you shared was how it's so important to you to do right by your child. What does doing right by your son look like during this time? You know, what experiences and skills are important for you to impart in him? I think presence actually giving my child quality of presence. I think most parents would agree that regardless of the time, you know, that one lives in that actually just showing up day in and day out and taking quality time to be with your kid is the biggest thing as far as what it means to to do right by him but um you know expanding into the into these times you know this context specifically you know there's this interesting fine line between overexposure to the reality of what we're experiencing and also honesty and you know my my child you know he's only just a year old and so there's a lot that he doesn't understand yet um you know or I could take him somewhere and he doesn't really 100% maybe he might pick up on the energetics of a space but he doesn't 100% know where we are or what we're up to but I I do project a lot into the future around the hard truths you know and I I think that one <laughs> There's a lot of really beautiful educational material these days that is coming out for children. And I just see it in children's books. You know, there's so many children's books that are coming out with topics related to the environment, you know, topics related to peace building and friendship across barriers and cultures and all different types of perceived boundaries. And I was even at the library the other day and there was a book, I think that was titled something like When a Bully is a President. (laughs) And it, <laughs> and it, the library actually had a display, you know, they were like, oh, this is, this is actually one of the core things we really want people and parents to be walking by right now. So I, I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of in, in complete awe around this big, I, you know, I see our society wanting to meet this big need around providing educational and age appropriate material for children. So that's one thing. But I also, you know, I, I actually do really believe in, at least right now, and and every kid is different, but our child has always been pretty easy, I would say, as far as taking him out into large groups, you know, big energy spaces. So because of that, I've felt comfortable 
bringing him into rallies and showing up on the street with him. And, you know, last year, I think when he was four or five weeks, I actually drove two hours north to Sacramento and was part of a direct action in front of the governor's office at the time. And that was incredible. You know, I, I was curious what is possible, you know, around showing up on the ground publicly with a child. And, you know, my friends really showed up for us that day. I'm so aware that it can sound really daunting and like crazy to do something like that. But I think that when you are a part of a group that is committed to justice and committed to truth and committed to holding you know, people in power accountable, especially people in public office accountable. There's a lot that can be done as far as weaving families and children into um, truth telling spaces. And so, yeah, my friends, you know, I was, you know, five weeks postpartum. So my friends carried my backpack and made sure that I was had water and helped me with the baby physically carrying him. And, um, and even before that, actually, my child, um, his name is Nakash. When he was two weeks, the very first outing we took him out on as a family was to a rally um, because of the children that were being detained at the border and separated from families. And so we took him to a local rally here in Petaluma. And it was a family event. My grandmother, his great grandmother and my mom, his grandmother were in town. And I just thought, I really want to normalize from the beginning of this person's foundation, this idea that you have power through voice and through body, and especially through being a part of a larger body, and that it doesn't have to be embarrassing, doesn't need to be shameful to be an activist, you know, breaking down some of the stereotypes that I needed to break down, just wanting to normalize from the beginning that this is how we show up as a family. And thinking back to um, one of our mutual friends, Kate um, Yala on, who has shared with both of us about ancestral activism and holding that as like a point of what I'm wanting to grow and raise my family into. Mom and dad showed up on the street and it's just a part of who I am. And I think there's just so much power and feeling like that's a part of the lineage and the culture of the home space. So I hope that answers a little bit of what you're bringing forward. <laughs> oh my, yeah. <laughs> was, I mean, that's so beautiful. And I, and I love that you referenced um, the ancestral inheritance because I do think that's really alive in what you're sharing with your child. And something that I would love for us to explore is that, you know, we've talked a lot about raising a child in a way that inspires presence and gratitude and connection to ancestry and connection to nature but we're also living in a time right when there are so many distractions that have been braided into the very fabric of our society that can make those experiences harder to access. And so I'd love to hear from you, what are you doing to challenge screen time and the impact of technology on family life and public health right now? And how does that you know, shape how you're raising your son and, and also the activism that you've been increasingly involved in? Thank you for that question. You know, as we were talking ahead of time before this interview and, you know, as you're, I would say, my main creative collaborator right now and and, and friends, you've yeah, been hearing me talk a lot about this theme of, you know, screen time and our digital lives, our digital selves and how that intersects with our democracy, you know, individually, but also 
how it's impacting our children and socially just huge questions around like what are we living and growing into and is it something that we stand by you know is this really what we want and I you know I feel like this conversation as I've been exploring it and I'm actually writing on it right now pretty in depth I realized that this is actually the culture of my family that I grew up in it feels like I'm actually just carrying forward those lessons uh, and those foundational points that I was raised with and you know, for those of you that are not familiar with my story, I was raised off the grid. And at that time in the early 90s on the island of Maui, uh, pretty far away from most everything. And, um, you know, as time has gone on, I feel like society and more and more people have kind of encroached on that family home space. But when I was a kid, it was, it felt far away. And my parents were diligently against us spending time on devices, on screens. You know, we were truly in a no screen household and also a barely, you know, like we we weren't using modern technology in the ways that most families were in the 90s, simply because we were also living off of the grid and living off of the grid on like a very, very homemade, fragile system that my father had put together in the 1970s, you know, and is like slowly, you know, with time been <laughs> been supporting um, and building out on. But yeah, when I was a kid, it was, it was really slow living. And it was, you know, daily analysis of how much power we had, you know, in relationship to how much sun there had been. And, you know, that determined if we got to turn the lights on at night. So being raised, you know, with a really clear foundational understanding around natural resources and, um, you know, how they're finite in many ways and understanding my personal consumption in relation to those resources contrasted against not having a TV, not being able to just really like blindly sit in front of a screen ever, um, at least at home, has really imbued in me a pretty strong stance around technology and screen time and social media. And I've really been observing myself and I'm definitely like a hundred percent on social media and have utilized online public platforms for many years. But I think I'm one of these people who have, because of that foundation always has had this voice and this skepticism around what it means to show up in those spaces and had a very strong protocol around interacting and being, you know, in conversations with people online, just because I, I felt so clear that those spaces are constructive and can be tools in some ways, but are also very destructive in many other ways. And so right now, you know, with screen addiction on the rise, with being a parent to a small child who already wants to touch the phones all the time, wants to play at this idea of like, you know, what he's just experiencing and witnessing and what is being modeled around him, you know, I have a lot of fear and I am wanting to start to take a much more proactive um, and public facing stance around the issue that I've, I've always had with screens and technology. And, um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot actually right now in our household that is definitely up for discussion and a lot in my own really like intimate and personal conversation with myself that is up for conversation you know just 
why have I been sucked into my phone? You know, especially when I was someone who was so late to get in a smartphone, to get an iPhone. And what is that deep seated addictive part of myself that shows up to social media? Um, when again, I was also like a very late adapter to Instagram, which is right now the only social media platform that I use. And just starting to trace those threads and those questions back down to hopefully source. And, you know, what's been interesting in this whole, this whole research phase and, and personal exploration is, is starting to really understand that it's not just like my own public health or my own family's health that's on the line. It's, it is really like societally right now. I think we're at this moment where we have some really big decisions to make about, you know, the attention economy and how much of ourselves we decide to give over to advertisers and also how much of ourselves we decide to give over, you know, as far as our data and starting to think about what is really going to be our stop point, considering that the 2016 elections with the Russians meddling in our elections, you know, we lost huge. We lost big time with not being diligent with how we show up to online conversations, not being diligent with tracing um, articles, making sure that we were not circulating news and information that wasn't true, wasn't, wasn't accurate. Starting to really draw into question how we talk to each other online when a lot of conversation around our political sphere, around our social fears and social positionalities oftentimes leads to really inflamed and enraged behavior that ultimately just creates more division. So I I know I opened up a lot of different threads there, but, you know, just to kind of, (laughs) you know, especially for the listeners, just to give you a little insight into my, my mind right now. And, and also just to say that let's move the conversation away from shame that we each might be personally holding, especially when we're thinking about addiction and, and start to realize that there's a larger programming that we're each dealing with. And there's a lot of outside influence and it's actually not our fault. You know, there's some responsibility there, but there's a lot that is coming from outside of us that we're just on the receiving ends of. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I, I really resonate with all of that, particularly because I've always felt that our relationship to screens is an extension of our relationship to our activist practices And I think it's such a hard conversation to have for precisely what you mentioned, is that people do experience a lot of shame and guilt. And the work that you're doing to kind of excavate the root causes is really brave and important. And it's also really vulnerable because so many of us don't want to admit that we have a problem because it feels like we've failed ourselves somehow. Although, as you so beautifully shared, right, there's greater programming going on. It's not that we're weak. It's that these systems and technologies have been designed to prey on our base instincts. And with that in mind, I'd really love for you to share with our listeners about the new project that you're working on to explore these conversations in community. Mm. Yeah, so let me see here if I can trace back the moment. Okay, I think the moment. (laughs) I think the moment was um, (laughs) when I went to a book talk for the release of a book called How to Not Always Be Working from the author... Marley Grace. And that book talk was so courageous to me. Marley really laid out a lot of the inner workings of her own mind in the pages, but then also 
speaking to us audience around what it's like for her as a creative to battle the like urge to touch the phone and to turn on the phone and to go into the the spaces of social media and it really broke open for me so much that I had been internalizing and holding and so I started thinking a lot I I had already been thinking but I started really starting to feel like I need to say something like I need to like can we like I want to talk about this with my friends and it and also it feels so hard to talk about and you know that book reading was a little less than a year ago um but meanwhile you know there's been a lot of news that has come out around you know different people who have worked with companies like Facebook who are essentially whistleblowers people that are saying like we need to really start to check these companies so amidst all of that starting to feel like wow, there's a lot of people who are really brave and I need to be brave, you know, kind of, you know, coming mm. back to this idea of motherhood for me right now and feeling like I don't want to send my kid to school and he's just being, you know, kind of mindlessly set in front of an iPad and that's all of a sudden deemed okay by our society. And and I don't also want to, I you know, it's like I want something better for him. I want him to be growing and, and living into a culture that, actually feels thriving and not so zombie like. <laughs> yeah. And then one day I by chance ended up at this book reading um, by another author named Roger McNemi, who put this author this book called Zucked, which really breaks down a lot of these these different threads that I was struggling to put together. And I, I you know I started talking to him after the book talk and I, you know I was asking him like hey like what can I do? And also is there a way that people can plug into this conversation, you know, these huge topics that you're bringing up in your book, but like, is there's like a proactive way that people can start to, to work with this in their own, their own life. And, you know, he was like, yes and no. And, you know, he was, you know, in the midst of a lot. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was emailing with him and I was like, Roger, like, I'm going to put a class together. And he was like, <laughs> go for it. So I put the first class together I was able to give a little taste at the gathering Spirit Weavers that takes place in Southern Oregon. And I, at the time, I had called it Embracing Your Political Self. And I had just like a really small window. It was like a lunchtime slot. So it was quicker than I would have wished. But also that being said, I, it was this moment where I was like, wait a second, you know, I'm starting to be able to start conversations with people around this topic that is so alive and present for me and support them in creating some of the connections around what they're also experiencing. Um, and one of the like b- the best things about being at that gathering and giving that class for the first time there is that so much of the Spirit Weavers gathering was was really like made possible by Instagram as a platform. And a lot of the people who attend that space keep in touch with each other or have found out about Spirit Weavers through Instagram. And so the relevancy of the conversation there, even though we were in the woods and, you know, no one's like on their phone all day long. It's like we're practicing this culture of not screen time. The reality is like a lot of us are there because of screens, because of social media. And so I had the opportunity to kind of open a conversation with a small group there. And and then I, I've just been building out on the class and I decided, you know, I want to give this class like an official home on the World Wide Web. Um, so I just bought the domain digitalselves.org and, you know, my hope is to create a space that feels safe for people online to 
explore these topics and to compile a page of resources because there's a lot that's coming out right now um, that are approaching, you know, this issue from different angles, you know, so um, the author Cal Newport put out a book called Digital Minimalism, which I, you know, I love his approach because it's really about like, hey, can we remember that we're losing aspects of our humanity? Like we're actually these whole human beings and huge parts of us are not being nourished right now, you know, and how can we declutter, you know, like just really like soulful, it's like the soulful way of approaching it, you know, and then there's a book like Zucked, you know, which in contrast is really bringing out this conversation around like politics and the fear of what we're losing when we you know, we're no longer active and engaged citizens, or the way that we choose to be active is only online, which oftentimes leads to like more and more divisive behavior. And we're, you know, in in spaces that are much more oriented around consuming, you know, and so wanting to just create a space where one, people can go onto this website and find resources, um, you know, spaces, authors, other podcasts, you know, shorter articles, um, news reports on what's going on, and then Two, you know, it's a place where they can learn a little bit more about the class that I'm offering, um, which is wanting to create a space where people can make these connections in person, be in dialogue in real life with other people around the social anxiety, the pressure, the feeling of shame, the feeling of addiction, like these hard truths actually have a space to go and talk about that in person with each other and get some proactive tools that they can implement in their own life. And then I'm also wanting to collect stories. I, you know, so much of my work throughout my early adulthood and adulthood has hugely been oriented around storytelling. I had a shirt once as a part of a climate justice youth delegation. All of us wore shirts that said climate justice storytellers because that's what we were, we were there, you know, what we're up to. And I just, I believe in the power of stories and the power that each of us are carrying. And I just feel like when more and more of us can start to bring our stories together, we can start to feel less alone and isolated in our stories and hopefully more brave to start to make tangible changes, you know, in our day-to-day life. And, um, you know, I'm I'm like, yeah, like, let's culturally shift right now. So yeah. that's a little bit of, um, yeah, a little bit about that, that little side project that is so new and, and baby and, and also nerve wracking. Yeah, I feel nervous about it. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I think for all the same reasons, anyone feels nervous about starting this conversation, you know, admitting to addictive behavior with anything feels like you've lost control or something. And Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone wants to feel like that in life, but I feel like together, you know, we can find the willpower to free our minds again and hopefully come back into a much more in-person, um, soulful existence that is <laughs> my greatest prayer, uh, rooted in like actually alive democracy. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah, Kylie, I'm so grateful you're doing this work. I think it's so important. Um, And although I totally understand the nervousness, I think, right, like shedding light on this will make it a far easier burden to bear. And so before we close, how can our listeners, you know, continue 
to be in conversation with you. I know you have amazing uh, book clubs at uh, the Point Reyes bookstores, and you also have a really thriving Instagram. What would be the best way for people to to continue this conversation and continue to uh, learn from the work you're doing, both for Earth is Ohana and Democracy in Our Digital Selves? Yeah, so on my site, Earth is Ohana, and Ohana is spelled O-H-A-N-A.com. I have a list of classes and, you know, classes that expand also beyond um, democracy and our digital selves. But, you know, a little, you know, it's a really nice orientation to who I am and a lot of what my work has been about over the last years. Um, So happy to meet people through that contact form that I have there. And I also have, as I had mentioned, the new site, digitalselves.org, S-E-L-V-E-S. And, you know, there's a contact, a contact page there as well. And um, also a page where you can add, you can just add your story. And then, yeah, I'm on Instagram at Earth is Ohana as well, which, you know, like, you're welcome to meet me there. And, you know, as you've been hearing in this conversation, I have a lot of questions around that space right now. So um, maybe meet me in person if you can. (laughs) If you're in the area, meet me in person and, um, and or maybe just, you know, meet me through email. I, you know, I'm open to starting conversations with people in different places as well through, um, you know, that much more intimate form. So, you know, grateful for any of you who feel like you have something you want to add to some of the topics I'm bringing forward right now. And yeah, more than anything, just grateful to you, Kate, for providing space right now and, you know, the opportunity to just open a conversation on, you know, what is most alive in my heart and in my family and in my mind at the moment. So thank you. Thank you, Kailea. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I know that for a lot of our Loam listeners, you're a huge inspiration. Um, And for me, on a personal note, it's just you've been, you're a big reason my Loam is the way it is. So thank you so much for offering a sliver of your story today. And I am so excited to see how uh, your new project takes shape in the world. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you to all of you for listening. And thank you to the incredible Isaac Silk for producing and editing this podcast. And to Isaac and Faith Harding for the intro music. And to all of you lone listeners, your support really does mean the world. So we'll talk soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm feeling like heart fluttery right now and sending you all a lot of love.